Praise the Lord. Well, open your Bibles tonight, and let's uh, get back to where we left off with those good old Israelites <laughs> standing at the borders of the promised land that God has set aside for them and their descendants. The same land that Abraham wandered across, he didn't get to possess it himself, but he got to set up his tent. The same land that Joseph said, when you bury me, don't leave my bones here in Egypt, but someday when you go and take the promised land, take me with you. The same land that God had been promising his people for hundreds of years and waiting for the moment when they would possess it. Unfortunately, as we read in the last few weeks, they did not possess the land because when they got there, they didn't believe God. Twelve spies went into the land. Ten of them came back and said, the land is good, but we can't take it. We're too small. They're too great. It'll devour us. It'll devour our kids and our wives. Two spies came back, Joshua and Caleb, with a good report. Remember what we talked about. The difference between a bad report and a good report is not different facts. The facts are the same. The difference is, are you approaching it with the perspective of, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is with us, what do we have to worry about? Or are you focusing on your own strength, your own ability? A bad report focuses on you, your, your shortnesses, your weaknesses, your failings. A good report focuses on God. That's the difference. And unfortunately, the people of Israel did not believe the good report. They believed the bad report. Can we just say it again? You have a choice which report you're going to believe. For every situation, for every obstacle, for every time you are tested, for every time something comes against you, you always have two reports. Always two reports. If, and now, if the only report you've heard is the bad report, get your Bible out because there's a good report right there for you. There's always two reports. Which one will you believe? You can blame the guy who gave you the bad report, and God will hold him accountable, but he's also going to hold you accountable for what you believe. You're accountable. At the end of the day, you're accountable for your own spirit. You're accountable for your own soul. We can blame the, you know, I wish the preacher preached more about this, or I wish I, I wish I had gone to school for this, or I wish, you know, my friends were more encouraging. But at the end of the day, I'm responsible for my spirit. I'm responsible for my own soul. You've got to be responsible for what you let in and what you speak out. So the Israelites rebel against the Lord. And that's how God took it. He didn't take it as a, as a rain check. He took it as rebellion because that's what it was. Now, at this point, this is the 10th time that they've rebelled, that they've tested God. We could go through all the times, but it started at the Red Sea. I mean, every time, God took note of every time they, they got in a situation where they had to trust him. And it seems like every time they got in a situation where they had to trust him, they blamed him. Instead of trusting God, they blamed God. You know, we read last week about how they were in their tents saying, God hates us, so he brought us here to kill us. What you believe about God matters. What you believe God believes about you matters. When you believe that God is good and he's good to you, then, then your whole belief system is shifted by that thought 
And you'll believe a good report because you believe God is good, God is faithful, God is for me. I have a covenant with God, so it's easy for you to believe a good report. But if you believe that God hates you, God is angry, God will not forgive you, then you will believe the bad report. You will. God said through Moses, he said, you guys sat in your tents and said, because God hates us, he brought us here to kill us. And that's what they kept saying. Isn't it amazing how many times they said, God must have wanted to kill us here. God must not wanted us to, you know, were there not enough graves in Egypt? Did you want to bring us out here? We have to settle right now what we believe about God. So God says, this is the 10th time you've done this. And this was the last straw. They could not go into the promised land. You might think that's just God having a short temper. How many of you know God is eternal? He's, he's infinite. His temper is not short. You know what I mean? He's not like you and me. He doesn't just snap. He is, he's perfect. So it wasn't that he just said, you know what, I'm just ticked off. No, it was that, I mean, I honestly believe it was his mercy that kept them. Once they made that decision not to go into the promised land, he said, okay, I'm going to let your kids go because you've given up your shot. But not only have you given up your shot, I don't think those guys would have survived in the promised land because they could not trust God. But here's what he says. Now, this, some of this language that he uses is going to sound a bit harsh to you, but you have to understand that he did not abandon them here. When he said, you're not going into the promised land, do you know what? God didn't stay at the promised land. He went with them. He kept them. He kept his word to them, even though they had rejected him. And so, in verse 20 of, of Numbers 14, Numbers 14, 20. Moses once again intercedes for the people. And we've talked about this before when we talked about intercession. But I truly believe... I truly believe that God, being infinite and outside of time, always knew that Moses was going to intercede. And I don't believe God had any intention of slaughtering the Israelites, but I believe Moses had to be in a position to stand in the gap. Moses had to be the guy that stood in the gap for them. God needed him to be that guy because God needed to put something in Moses and, and demonstrate something to the people. So Moses interceded for the people. He says, God, don't kill them. Please spare them. And the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? I mean, God, what does your glory have to do with this? Well, you have to understand, God said, I want to show my glory through these people. But it is next to impossible to show your glory through people who keep resisting you. Right? God said, you are, my, you are my demonstration to the nations. The nations will see the glory of the Lord because of you. But the, God is glorified when we trust him. Isn't, it, isn't that right? When we put our faith in him, he's glorified. When he takes nobodies and they do great and mighty things for him, that's glorifying to God. But that only happens if you're willing to step out in faith. They weren't willing. So God says, all right, I'm going to spare them. But you know this, the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. So I'm not done. He's saying, I'm not finished here. 
I will get my glory. The, the earth will know the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not listened to my voice. You can go back to each of those times from the Red Sea to the water that was bitter to the rock to all of these places and 10 times they tested God. He said, they didn't listen to my voice. They will by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall they any of those who spurn me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he's had a different spirit, he's followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out by the wilderness, to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long will I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I've heard the complaints of, against the, son, of the sons of Israel, which they're making against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you've spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in the wilderness, even your numbered men, according to your complete number from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you will not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, let, let's just get this straight. God is not talking about slaughtering them right there, right? When he says your corpse is, he's saying you're, you're going to die in the wilderness. You're never going to make it to the promised land. So for 40 years, he kept them, right? They, God didn't just slaughter everybody there. So you need to get that straight. It sounds brutal when he says your corpses will lie in the wilderness. But what he's saying is you won't get to go into the promised land in your lifetime. But... Here's the great thing. This is, this is the mercy of God. They were perfectly content to doom their kids with them. They said, we're not bringing our kids in there. Our, that land will eat our children up. But God says this in the next verse. He says, your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, I will bring them in and they will know the land which you've rejected. Now, this is an amazing thing because especially in that day and age, Children suffered for the sins of their fathers. But God's mercy was so great that their kids did not have to suffer for their own sins. He says, your kids are going to get to go in. Now, to be fair, the kids had to wander around the wilderness for 40 years, but, you know, they got to see the promised land. And it reminds me, and I know I've brought this up before, but it reminds me of when the people of Jerusalem said, crucify him, crucify him, let his blood be on our heads and the heads of our children and a few weeks later, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and says, well, quite a few weeks later, Peter stands on the day of Pentecost and says, this promise is for you and for your children too. Even though they were perfectly content to doom their own kids, God showed his mercy to that generation. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it good that God did that? He could have just said, I'll start over. In fact, he mentioned it to Moses. He said, you know, I could start over. I made a promise to Abraham that his descendants, you're one of them. I could start over with you. <laughs> Moses says, please, no, Lord, let, let these guys stick around. So he tells them, guys, you're not going to enter the promised land, but your kids will. Except Caleb and Joshua, they'll go in too. Then he says, but as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness, and they'll suffer for your unfaithfulness, unfortunately, until your corpses lie in the wilderness. I mean, I didn't think I'd say corpses this many times in a church service, but here we are. 
<laughs> According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days, for every day you'll bear your guilt for a year, even 40 years, and you'll know my opposition. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they'll be destroyed, and there they will die. As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. Now, it's in moments like this you just say, thank God I'm in the new covenant. Thank God Jesus died for my sins. Because <laughs> how many times would I be just struck down, right? Thank God for his mercy. Thank God that his blood covers me. But even knowing that, it certainly doesn't make me want to go rebel against God. Of course, right? Knowing that, knowing that his mercy is big enough, knowing that the blood of Jesus covers your sins, that, you know, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness when we come to him. Knowing that doesn't make me want to go rebel. It makes me want to serve him even more. And I'm thankful for that. But let's learn from their mistakes here. Let's learn from their mistakes and let's see what happens because God's just given them a plan forward. Now, once again, isn't it great that God didn't say, and guys, you're on your own. 40 years, I'm staying here. You guys wander around for 40 years. For 40 years, he went with them. For 40 years, he took care of them. For 40 years, he fought the enemies they fought. For 40 years, he kept them alive when they should have died off. It's a good God. Verse 39 says this. When Moses spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people mourned greatly. I guess you would. In the morning, however, they rose up early and they went up to the ridge of the hill country saying, here we are. <laughs> Don't you love that? Here we are. We fixed it. We're all better now. Attitude adjustment. We've sinned. Yeah, yeah, we sinned. We sinned against God. But uh, we'll go up to the place which the Lord has promised. Like these are the guys that yelled at the boss, I quit. And then show up the next day hoping he forgot. Like, oh, I was just kidding. <laughs> Here I am. Because they realized they could not survive without that paycheck. Don't you love how they love to just, just try to pull one over on God? Here we are. <laughs> uh, that was a rough day yesterday, wasn't it? But we're here. We're ready. We've sinned, but we're ready to go. As if God's going to say, oh, oh, cool. Yeah, whatever. Right on. Well, good. What was I saying yesterday? No, nothing. We, you said some things. We said some things. But we're here now. We're ready to go now. What caused them to do this? What caused them to do this? I don't believe it was repentance toward God. It was regret that they lost something valuable. Oh, man, we lost our shot at the promised land. Now, remember, just before this, the day before, they were, they were already packing up, going back to Egypt. That's what they wanted to do, go back to Egypt. Now, they've had a night to sleep on it and regret what they said. Because, you know, it's kind of like you say to your kids, you're not sad you did something bad. You're sad you're about to get time out. Or you're sad you're about to get a spanking, whatever. You're, you're, you're not sad that you disobeyed. You're sad that I'm taking your Nintendo away. 
You know, so they, they have regret, but they don't have repentance. Because repentance brings you back to God. Regret will just bring you back to the moment you lost something. They haven't drawn near to God. They're just trying to go, okay, well, we could fix this. But watch what happens. Moses said, why are you transgressing the commandment of the Lord when it will not succeed? Don't go up or you'll be struck down before your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. Remember the whole reason Joshua and Caleb had a good report? The Lord is with us. We're fine. None of them, none of them said, we can take these guys. They all knew they couldn't take these guys. They all knew they'd lose any battle against any of these armies. These were a bunch of rejects from Egypt who'd been slaves all their lives. They didn't know how to fight. They know this is a battle they're going to lose without God. So Moses <laughs> compassionately says, don't go. God's not with you. Verse 44, but they went up heedlessly. You know what heedlessly means? They didn't listen. They didn't care. They just went. To the ridge of the hill country, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses left the camp. Now, there's a big clue there. God's not with you and Moses isn't either. This is the epitome of human pride. I missed it. I disobeyed God, but don't worry. I can make it happen. I can fix this. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You know you rebel. You know you did what you shouldn't have done, but you go, wait, I can fix this. In fact, so often we think if I can fix it, I'll go ahead and I'll fix it. Then I'll come back to the Lord and I can come and say, well, look, I cleaned my mess up. What God is asking is not for you to fix everything, but for you to just come back to him, follow his voice, and he'll lead you. See, God had a, still had a good plan for them. Uh, they missed out on the promised land, but he was going to be with them. He was going to take them, and he was going to let their kids come into the promised land. That wasn't good enough. They go up, and even when Moses said, God's not with you, they say, we've got this. God didn't come with them. Moses didn't come with them. And in verse 45, the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and struck them and beat them down as far as Hormah. It's really sad, isn't it? It's a sad story. And uh, could have been avoided had it not been for the pride of the people, had it not been for the disobedience, had it not been for the rebellion. How many times, I mean, you got to know that, that there, are, there are doors, there are moments of uh, seasons where we have to obey God. I mean, we have to obey God all the time. What I mean is there are seasons where he's saying, now's your moment, obey me now. And you go, no, 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 no. And God is so merciful and so good that if you'll turn back to him, he'll get you back on course. But remember what I said, repentance brings you back to God. Regret brings you back to the moment where you lost something. So what do we try to do? When we're operating out of repentance, you don't do anything until you come back to the Lord and say, God, I, am, I missed it. I disobeyed or I, I was too afraid to move. I'm, Lord, I'm back though. You know, I, I'm sorry. I messed it up. But Lord, I know that I have, uh, you're a forgiving God. I come back to you and Lord, I'm asking you to lead me and guide me. And it's very likely that God will take you on a different way, a different path. 
Because that door might be shut. Look, the door might still be open. He might say it's not too late. But it might be that there's another door that's got open now. You know, I've been on plenty of airplanes where you get off a little bit because of turbulence, right? Or you get, there's a storm ahead or there's something. So they'll get a little bit off the route. And you know, when they get off the route, eventually they're going to have to get back on route. Isn't that right? But they don't go back to the point where they got off the route. They start from where they are and they plot a new course, right? Yes. Wouldn't it be a waste of time if you got off way back there and the pilot says, oh, we, uh, we got off for, you know, uh, we had some turbulence. Uh, I hope everybody is okay. Uh, it's just going to be an extra half an hour here. Uh, we've uh, flown for about uh, 500 kilometers and we'll be headed back. Uh, we're going to flip around and go right back to where we lost our marks and uh, hopefully that storm will be gone. Uh, it's going to add another three hours to our trip. Uh, there'll be peanuts passed out. Hopefully everybody's going to be okay. You wouldn't think that was a good thing, would you? <laughs> People who are listening to the podcast are going to be so probably annoyed by that. Um, but you wouldn't want them to go back. You say, plot a course from where I am. It's arrogance to go back and say, no, I can do this. That's the question we have to ask. Are we operating out of repentance or regret? You know, the Bible says there is a sorrow according to the will of God. That's the thing inside you that says, I don't want to disobey God. And when you do disobey God, you don't feel great about it. That's a good thing. Guys, that's a good thing. That's proof that you're born again. It's proof that you're born again when you don't feel good about disobeying God, right? How many of you have been trail riding, like a horse, like on a trail ride? Anybody? Only a few. Okay, all right. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed how much those horses hate to get off the trail? Like they're in the line and they've been on the line all their lives. They just follow the line. So my dad, one time, you remember this? We were in, we were near David Thompson Resort in the Rockies, and uh, Dad always had like tons of camera equipment. And he had his, his special lenses and everything like that. And so dad was trying to, you know, take like pictures hanging off the side of the horse and, you know, trying to get the perfect family album. And he lost a lens. It was a lens cap, lens cap on the trail somewhere. And he didn't know where on the trail. He just knew he lost it. So we're all just riding these horses. And you don't, it doesn't take any skill to ride these horses. You just sit on them and they go where they're supposed to go. You know, you know you're holding the reins, but you're really not doing anything. Like, you're not, you're just sitting. It's, you might as well be on a roller coaster. They're just going to follow the horse in front of them. So dad decides he's going to go back and get his lens cap. And we hear the most horrific horse sound, like somebody is murdering this horse. But it's just dad turning the reins and forcing the horse to go off the trail and, he, and the horse fought him the whole way, hated it the whole way, bucked up and down. Finally, dad, you know, I, I, he never actually found the lens cap. Turned out somebody else found it on the next, the next ride. But trying to get that horse turned around, that horse did not want to turn around. The horse wanted to go straight ahead because it was just, I mean, it was the furthest thing from its mind. The furthest thing from its mind to get off track. It does not want, I know this isn't the way. You're not my master. You're not my boss. That the butt in front of me is where I'm supposed to go. That's where I'm supposed to stay. 
And sometimes, you know, you know when you're following and you're used to following the voice of the Spirit of God, you know when you disobey, even when it's convenient to disobey, that spirit inside you is like that horse that goes, no, this is a bad move. Stay on track. Well, the Bible calls that the sorrow according to the will of God. That's saying, I don't feel good about sinning, nor should I. But it says, the sorrow according to the will of God. This is in 2 Corinthians 7. The sorrow according to the will of God leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. Now, that salvation is not talking about getting saved again. It's talking about God's salvation, God's deliverance, God rescuing you. It leads to salvation without regret. Isn't that wonderful? True repentance doesn't leave you with a ton of regret. True repentance leads you to turning around and following him again, letting him rescue you. But what regret will do is it'll take you back to that point you messed up and you'll try to fix it. You know, the book of Hebrews talks about Esau and it says, don't, don't be like Esau who gave up and sold his birthright, sold that blessing for a little bit of soup. And afterwards, he sought repentance with tears, but he couldn't find it. What's Esau experiencing? Esau is not, his heart's not crying out, God, I, I'm so sorry that I've rejected you. His heart is crying out, oh, I missed out on all that good blessing stuff. And I, I, I want to fix it. I don't want to go back and fix it. But he missed his shot. Here's the good news. God is so good. that We always say this, God is a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, right? God gives us multiple chances. He's so good. That doesn't mean that the second chance for you is to go back and try to do the exact same thing he told you to do before. It just, that's just us saying that. Do you know what I'm saying? There are times where God opens a door and you go, no, I'm not going through that door. And that door closes. Now he'll have another door for you. The best thing for you would have been to go through that first door. That is your best move. But so many times what we do is the door we say, no, God, I'm not going through. No, I don't want to. No, I reject that. The door closes, and then we start feeling regret. What if I missed it? And then we go back, and we try to kick that door open, but it's not opening. We try to bang on it. We try to twist it. And that's our pride saying, I can fix this. I can go back and change everything. Listen, what you need to do is not go back to where you messed up. What you need to do is go back to the God that you rejected. Go back to the God that you said no to and say, Lord, what do I do? Humble yourself before the Lord. What does the scripture say? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He'll exalt you. What Israel should have done is to say, God, we repent. God, we are sorry. What do you want us to do? But they didn't. What they said was, yeah, here we are. I always sinned, but that's okay. We're back now. We, we changed our minds again. We're going to go do it. Oh, God's not with you. God says, don't go. Oh, that's okay. We got this. I don't know if they were so arrogant to believe they could do it on their own. Or if they were so arrogant to believe if they went, God would be forced to go. I don't know what they were thinking, but it was wrong, and they died. If we could just learn this, there are moments and days and seasons of visitation. It's not a good thing to just delay obedience, thinking I'll always have the chance. You know, we were always raised with this 
saying, delayed obedience is disobedience. How many people say, I'll get it together later? How many people have you met that say, I'll give my life to Jesus, but first I just want to live a little? How many people have you said where God is telling them, I, need, I want you to do this, and they say, no, not right now. It's not a good time. It's not good. Just know this. Those doors don't always stay open forever. And there might be a day where that door closes and you look at the closed door and all of a sudden you regret what you did. Let me just tell you, the best thing for you to do is to repent and turn back to God. Let him tell you what step two is. Don't go back and try to fix it because you're just going to make it worse. I've known guys that, I've known young people that, that uh, you know, said no to something and they, they rejected what God had for them and then later they, re, they, they really regretted what they did and so they tried to go do it all over again and it just didn't work for them because, you know, you can't go back in time. But know this, this is a good thing. God is so good and so merciful that he doesn't abandon you. And if you'll just turn back to God, if we'll just say, God, if we'll just be honest and humble enough to say, God, I was wrong, but I've turned back. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Then he'll have another door for you. He'll have another path for you. It doesn't mean that 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 first door wasn't the best. That's usually the best, but he's so good and he's so wise. He has another way to get you back on track. Don't be arrogant and try to go back and do what you said you wouldn't do before once that door is closed. God may say the door is still open. God may say you still have a chance. God may say, I still want you to do it. Listen, that's up to him. But the point is, don't go back to where you made the mistake. Go back to the God that you said no to. Find out what he wants you to do. Find out if that's changed. Find out, Lord, do you have a new, is it still on? Because with them, he said very clearly, don't go in. Don't do it. I'm not with you if you do. They left the ark behind. They left the leader behind because of their own arrogance of their heart that, no, no, we can go back and we can do this. I've known, I've known people that were supposed to start a church and they didn't. They said, no, God, we don't want to do that. We don't want the hassle. 15 years later, they realized they made a mistake and they go up and started to try to start the church. But God didn't tell them to go start the church. They're just trying to go back in time 15 years and do what they last heard. And it failed. It wasn't a good idea. Because the best thing we can do, the best thing we can do is put our hearts and our, our lives in the hands of a God that we know does not abandon us and still cares for us. Say, God, what do I do now? If the Israelites had done that, they might not have entered the land of Canaan, but they sure would have been able to walk through the wilderness with a God, the same God that cared for them on the way there. You know, those 40 years weren't miserable. They had their struggles. They had their trial. But they still knew God. They still knew his presence. He took care of them. He fathered them. He delivered them out of so many afflictions. God didn't leave them there. And I just want to, I know this is very practical. Hopefully, it's a practical thing to you. But I remember when Jesus wept over Jerusalem and he said, if only you had known the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes because you did not recognize the day of visitation. 
And he talked about how the Romans would barricade Jerusalem and how they would lay siege to it and how um, they would even use, you know, these, these barricades and siege weapons against the city. And Jesus said it was because they missed their day of visitation. Now, thank God, God didn't forget about Jerusalem. God didn't forget about those people, but they missed a moment. They missed a moment because they rejected it. Don't miss the moments that God puts in front of you. Don't put them off saying, well, I could change my mind later. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Can you obey the Lord? Don't say, well, it'll come up again. Oh, I'll get the chance again. Don't count on that. It may or may not, but the important thing is obey the Lord. Be faithful. Trust him. And I've got good news. If any of you in this room look back with regret and say, I wish I had obeyed God, then I didn't. His mercies are new every morning. And if you'll turn to God and you'll say, Lord, I know I disobeyed, but here I am. He's not done with you. He's not going to throw you away. He's not going to say, well, you had one shot, that was it. He's always, he's always prepared to take you back on path. But just don't assume it's going to be the same thing as it was before, okay? It may have changed. The important thing is, don't act out of regret, act out of repentance. I thank God that I've had moments in my life where I said no when I should have said yes. And you know what? Thankfully, he got my attention before too much time had passed, and I didn't miss my time. I didn't miss my moment. But there were times in my life where I said no to things, and I missed it. There's a difference between missing the will of God and being totally out of the will of God. You know, we all miss it every now and then. But thank God, as long as you want to follow the voice of the shepherd, as long as you say, I'm yours, you'll never really be out. He's still got a plan for you. He's still got a purpose for you. He's still got a path for you. And the moment you come back to him, that's the important thing. Don't go back to the point in the trail where you messed up. Go back to God. Go back to that voice. Go back to the shepherd. He'll lead you on the path. Amen? Amen. Let's stand today and let's praise the Lord.